0: Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 79, Revelation, Exercising Jesus' Authority. And the following is a sermon that I preached June 18th of 2017 while working through the Gospel of Matthew. And I've decided to insert it here because of last week's episode about the locusts, And the destroyer and the one who comes to wreak havoc on our world and in that episode I referenced Luke chapter 10 and Jesus's words about seeing Satan fall like lightning from heaven and granting his disciples authority over unclean spirits and all the work of the evil one and so as I was working through some of my own notes I remembered having preached through Matthew's version of that exact same passage And when I went back and began to work my way through that passage, I noticed in that sermon that I referenced the sermon that is going to be this week's episode, knowing that the two of them go really closely together. And so the way Matthew spells these themes out, he deals with authority. And in that sermon, I happen to deal with it all the way back from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So fitting with the direction of this podcast, I wanted to show how once again these ideas could be tied together within the entire biblical story. But even more importantly than that, I wanted us to focus in on the fact that as the destroyer, Um, The enemy is the one who's out to rob people of the life that Jesus wants to give them. And when Jesus invites his people, his followers, his witnesses into the fight with him, he empowers us and equips us with the very authority we once had as image bearers to rule the world, but have lost and Jesus has come to reclaim it. And so in light of the book of Revelation, the fact that Jesus is the faithful witness and that we are called to be faithful witnesses who embody His realities in the world, I thought that it would be a good opportunity to take two consecutive weeks in the podcast, to insert two sermons that I preached in successive weeks at our church to give us a glimpse once again of what it means to stand in Jesus's authority. And what it means to rule the world as he himself did. And how we are to use the authority God's given to us to set the captives free. Captives, I might add, that were very clearly described for us in the passage in Revelation 9 that we looked at in episode 78. And so without going into too much detail, I would like to offer to you the sermon, Exercising Jesus' Authority. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaan, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, "'Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, "'but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as you, "'and proclaim as you go, saying, "'The kingdom of heaven is at hand. "'Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons.'" You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, we come before you this morning eager to be fed from your word as your children eager to learn the the responsibilities and the rights that we have been given as your followers. And we praise you for the incredibly beautiful way in which Jesus shows us his authority and then so gracefully hands it to us. Help us as we pour into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Authority. That's a word we may hear a lot about. We may understand it. We may not understand it. Who are the kinds of people who have authority? And what on earth is authority for? Matthew, in his gospel, has introduced us to Jesus' authority repeatedly to this point. Matthew chapters 9 and 10. At the end of Jesus' teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, for example, the crowds were amazed and they noted that he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In the very next chapter, when asked to heal his servant from a distance, a Roman centurion expressed his faith in Jesus' ability to heal by saying, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And then again in chapter 9, when questioned as to how Jesus could simply say to someone that their sins were forgiven, he said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So Jesus teaches the gospel of the kingdom with authority. He heals people as a man under authority. And he even has the authority to forgive sins. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, You and I read a stunning statement. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Taken at face value, this is an incredibly stunning claim. I mean, let's just be honest. For Jesus to have such authority is something many of us have little problem accepting. But to just what extent does he give his followers his authority? And why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I'd like to share with you this morning what he's been teaching me in response to these kinds of questions. And it all starts with the opening chapters of Genesis. (coughs) The purpose of you and I being created in God's image is so that, along with the rest of humanity, we might rule over God's creation as his stewards, tend to his creation, cause it to flourish, that while submitting ourselves to God's gracious rule in our lives, we might follow him and have dominion over everything that he's made. Think of the words from Genesis 1. Rule, dominion, image bearers of God. Put another way, all mankind was given authority over the entire creation as they willingly placed themselves under God's authority, recognizing who he is, submitting themselves to him and his ways of ruling the world, and understanding that their positions of authority were given to benefit God and his creation. And then the tempter enters the garden. And he challenges not only Adam and Eve's authority... If they were really given authority, why wouldn't God allow them to eat from that one tree? But he also challenges the kind of authority God has. If God really were a kind ruler, he'd allow you to eat from that one tree. The attack of the enemy was an attack on authority. Those consequences God spoke about happening, they won't really happen. The reason God forbids you from exercising dominion over that tree is because he's scared. He's scared that you'll become just like him, and he doesn't want that. And Adam and Eve, as we all know, took the bait. They agreed with Satan's understanding of authority and decided that they wanted to rule over the creation as they saw fit, not as those who exercise authority on someone else's behalf. But we are creatures, and as such, we are always under someone's authority. The horrible truth brought in by the fall is that by listening to the lies of the enemy and acting on them, we gave our authority to him to rule the world through lies, deception, and bondage. And any authority figure who rules through lies, deception, and bondage cares very little for those he leads, The enemy promised Adam and Eve freedom. What he gave them when they gave him their authority was shame. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And this is exactly how the enemy rules the world, through guilt, fear, and shame. Until... The beloved Son of God, on whom the Spirit rests, goes face to face with this enemy in the wilderness to do battle over authority. Notice the temptations that Matthew describes for us in chapter 4 when Jesus faces him. Use your authority to make bread for yourself. Use your authority to draw attention to yourself. Use your authority to force the world's kingdoms to bow down to you. But at every single turn, Jesus says no. He will trust God to feed him when the time is right. He will trust God to protect him without putting him to the test. And he will worship God alone, no matter how hard it will prove to be. Do you see what Jesus does? He exercises the authority he's been given by perfectly submitting to the will of his Father in heaven. Resting in his father's love for him and refusing to force anyone to do anything. And so we read about him continually exercising his authority to set prisoners free. To cast out demons. To teach in such a way that hearts are penetrated. And to declare that people's sins are forgiven. But this is not all he's come to do. Jesus has also come to restore to all of humanity what they all lost in the fall. Their authority. That authority we gave the enemy when we believed his lies, yes. Jesus has come to give that back to us. The authority we gave to the enemy when our sinfulness gave him footholds in our lives, yes, he's come to give that back to us by forgiving us of those very sins. So while Jesus is actively freeing people from the bondage of the evil one, he turns and invites his disciples into the fight with him. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then with the authority given to him, Jesus calls to him his twelve disciples those who'd been with him, and watched him exercise his authority. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 10, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. When I first started thinking about Jesus giving his authority to his followers, or rather, when I first started thinking about Jesus giving his authority to me, let's just be honest, that's what I was thinking about. What does that mean? It all seemed so wrong. I am not a worthy person to be granted Jesus' authority. Period. End of discussion. There's no way that in real life anything I could say or do would have any effect on other people or their problems or over the evil one's influence and control in the world. But those are actual further lies and deceptions of the evil one. And he's using his understanding of authority to cause me to doubt mine. No, of course I don't have some complete power authority to demand that things go my way in the world. Yes, I should view that kind of authority as wrong. But Jesus operates within an entirely different framework for authority. Matthew has already spelled it out for us perfectly through Jesus' dealing with that that centurion in, in Matthew 8. The centurion's faith that Jesus could heal his servant was his recognition that Jesus too, like him, is a man under authority. He knew that Jesus could heal his servant with just a word because he came not on his own authority but under the authority of the one who made all things and of the one who controls all things. And the centurion also knew that Jesus would exercise his authority with that knowledge. That his authority had not been given to him for his own benefit but for the benefit of those caught in the clutches of the enemy. He put it all together. And we are told that Jesus marveled at this man. He got it. He understood. And he placed his full faith and trust in Jesus as the one who wielded God's authority as it was always meant to be wielded. And when you grasp this, you start to understand why Jesus gives us authority to join him in reclaiming the world. Staggering, yes, but you begin to understand why. Exercising God's authority on his behalf was a commission given to all humanity. But first, Jesus has to right the wrongs. Undo the works of the enemy, set the captives free, and bind the strong man then in his authority, we are able to join him in his work. He is the one who gives us authority. We don't pick it out of the sky, pretend that we're more than we are, and yet we also don't shrug our shoulders and conclude that he would never entrust us with the work of bringing healing and wholeness to other people. He most certainly will entrust us with those kinds of tasks. We're sons, remember? Our epistle reading, which Charlie read from us from Romans 5, puts it really well when it says this, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. By faith in Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. And we have access by faith into the very grace that saved us in the first place. God's abundant grace has been poured onto us and is still readily available to us by faith. Now in the context of exercising authority, what does Jesus tell his disciples to do when they first come to a home? If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. We are to be people who exercise our authority to bring others peace. However, if they do not want this peace, if they're resistant to our presence for any reason, we move on. They are not ready for the gospel of the kingdom. And there are plenty of other people who are So go find those people. But don't go find them alone. Something I have actually never seen before in Matthew chapter 10, before this week, is that in the list of Jesus' 12 disciples, Matthew lists them in six groups of two. Peter and Andrew are listed together. James and John are listed together. Philip and Bartholomew are listed together, and on and on and on. Now, this is more than just a grammar choice. It's both theological and it's very, very practical. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. We often forget this and think that Jesus wants us to minister in his name all by ourselves. Well, I'm sort of introverted. I'm not sure what to do when I'm around other people, so me by myself is going to be the way that he meets me. Well, he may choose to do that, but his real power and presence show up when there's two or three of us gathered in his name, ministering, healing, and look what he does. He calls his disciples in groups of two. Luke tells us when Jesus sends out the 72, Luke specifically tells us he sent him out two by two. Why? Because there's power in the numbers. And He is there in our midst. But how refreshing that Jesus doesn't expect us to have all the answers or all the power ourselves. We need the body of Christ. Other believers who are tuned into His Spirit also, who are able to discern the situation and offer healing, encouragement, and support right along with us. Have you ever been in a situation where someone shared a deep personal issue and you really had no idea what to say in response. You had no idea how to help them. In fact, I almost would be willing to bet money that the number one reason why more Christians are not willing to share their faith with others is because of a petrified fear of this one thing. That they will pose a question or a problem or a circumstance or a... You know, the exception proves the rule. They'll throw that exception into your lap and it's going to be all up to you to come up with the perfect solution. Because you don't have the perfect solution, we tend not to share. But have you ever been in a setting like that where another believer in the room with you overhears the conversation or maybe is part of the conversation and they decide to share an insight or a passage of scripture? or remind this struggling person of some character trait of God that gives them hope and then randomly you all of a sudden have something to say you feed off of that first comment and then a second comment comes in and before you know it there's some kind of we might call it a strange dynamic going on in the group because things are being shared and the spirit is communicating truth through various believers why does that happen? it's because where two or three are gathered in my name there I am among them And where two or three are sent out to exercise my authority in my name, there I am among them. It's the Holy Spirit who brings healing and wholeness into a situation and reminds us that when he works most powerfully, when two or three are gathered together, in Jesus' name. So he sends us out in pairs, never alone. We are not meant to work alone. And get this, even Jesus doesn't work alone. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And what the Father is doing is often happening right around us. Jesus tells his disciples to go simply to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go far, Jesus says. Not yet. There's plenty of work to be done right here. Look for hurting people. Look for people of peace those kinds of people who are ready to welcome the message of the kingdom into their homes and lives, look for those oppressed by the enemy and in need of healing and ask Jesus to grant you and those with you the power of his Holy Spirit to minister effectively when you come upon those kinds of needs and those kinds of people. Okay, yes. But what's the relationship between oppression of the enemy and someone's own sinful choices? How do I walk into a situation where I wonder about these things? And maybe nobody in this room has ever wondered it, but I'm going to be honest with you. For years, I've wrestled with this. Years. Aren't people responsible for the choices they make and their sinful responses? And so shouldn't the solution be to tell them to repent of their sins? Yes, in one sense, that is very true. But there was always something else that was bothering me. All through the Gospels, the worldview described was very different from that overly simplistic worldview that I just explained. Sins were present, for sure, but there were also demonic deliverances and miraculous healings, the kinds of things that I personally have never seen in my own life. So which is it? Are people oppressed by demonic forces? Or are there simple choices to blame for their problems? And trying to figure this out, I found myself repeatedly playing one against the other. It's either simple selfish choices or demonic oppression. And now I see that I had unknowingly created a false dichotomy. It's not either or. It's both and. It's always been both and. As sinners, we make sinful choices. In those moments, we believe the lies of the enemy that following our own view of authority instead of God's is the way to go. And when we give in to those sinful impulses, we give a bit of our God-given authority to the enemy, and he gains a foothold through that choice in our lives. There are many people around us whose sinful choices have placed them in such bondage to the enemy that they not only don't know how to be set free, many of them don't even know they're enslaved. People's choices to life situations are real. Demonic oppression and influence is also real. And Jesus has dealt with both If you would, listen to one of my now new favorite passages of Scripture from Colossians chapter 2. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. You realize, right, that Rome's number one goal for crucifying people on crosses was to humiliate them and to remind the people, you don't mess with Roman power or you too will be humiliated. Do you know what Paul is saying? Paul says that on the cross Jesus humiliated the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places because no amount of threat of death could stop him from loving his people. And now the whole worldly kingdom has been turned on its head and the one who grants us forgiveness is the one who also has the authority to do so and the authority to defeat anything the enemy is trying to do in the world. And now he calls us To walk with him in that place of victory. Knowing that our enemy has nothing on us because we've been purchased by the blood of Christ on the cross. He's taken our sins and nailed them to the cross. The very same cross that he mocked the rulers and authorities on. And he has reclaimed that authority for us to be exercised in his way and for his glory. Will you join him? Will you eagerly look for others caught in the clutches of the enemy's authority and allow Jesus' authority in you to set them free? Will you ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field? and then offer yourselves as the first answer to that prayer? Will we as a body rest in Jesus' authority and humbly approach Him asking to be small extensions of that authority for the world? You know, the greatest thing about asking these kinds of questions is that I know with all of you, the answer is yes. Yes. It's always been yes. And so may we all ask Jesus today for his leading and direction to point us to the people of peace who need to hear this message of deliverance. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's all of the above. But we don't have to look far and wide There are people everywhere who crave this kind of thing and may not even know it. And as we go with two or more in Jesus' name, may we be encouraged by each other's witness and offer strength and encouragement to one another as we seek to connect people to the presence and power of Jesus Christ. That's all the time we're going to take for this week's episode of the podcast. I do hope that you found this particular message to be an encouragement, quite possibly a challenge. And as always, I would encourage you to go back into the Bible yourself and make sure that the things you hear me say do line up with what you find there. And so I would love to continue to dialogue with some of you. I had a chance to do so this week through email of one of our listeners and very thankful for that correspondence. would ask you to reach out to me on email if you want to unbindingthebible at com to interact or to share any concerns or thoughts that you have about life or about the podcast. And just, if you would, find a friend this week, someone who might have a little extra time on their hands and share the podcast with them and offer to um, engage them in dialogue about it just as a way of connecting with other people around the word and about what jesus wants to do with us through it so until next time have a great week